Good morning. Well, I know you weren't expecting this today, but, oh, hello. <laughs> All right. Have you ever been in a situation, I'm sure you have been in situations before, but you're just confronted by something and you don't know, is this of the Lord or is it not? Whether you wind up in a hospital, whether you wind up losing a job, whether you wind up with a financial situation. I can remember my first church out of seminary, okay? I've been to college, I got my degree there. I've been to seminary, I got my master's degree there. I'm ready to go. We took our first church out of seminary in Bowling Green, Ohio, home of Bowling Green State University. And uh, I don't know how they afforded it. They, they paid a whopping salary. It was um, $50 a week. Our car payment was $200 a month. So, <laughs> I mean, and we were so smart, we decided we would move to Ohio right in the middle of a recession. And so the idea is I would be a bi-vocational. Anybody know what that means? That means I would have two jobs, count them, one, two. I had one. I was the pastor at Northside Baptist Church, Bowling Green, Ohio, making a whopping $50 a week in 1981. But the two part of the Bible uh, was very hard to come by. And we were just getting very concerned, Lord, did we just miss the call? Did we, did we go to the wrong place? And, but yet the Lord did some things in the midst of that situation that made it very clear that we were to be there. Anybody ever hear, been told to never send cash through the mail? Right? Why? Because if somebody finds out that there's cash inside that envelope, it most likely is not traceable. Put that in my pocket and I'll just go on. Well, the Lord laid it on some people's heart that not only did they send cash in the mail to us, but they didn't put a return address on there. So we, to this day, this side of heaven will never know who it was. But God just kept sending money to us until the jobs opened up. You know, so we're going to talk about a situation where the people of Israel... They had been through the long exodus, 40 years wandering in the wilderness. We could go through the whys and the wherefores and all that, but I think I'm what's standing between you and food, so we won't do that. So now they come to the time where they have to move from wanderers to conquerors, and Jericho's next. So when you read Joshua chapter 5, it, it kind of lays the scene for what we're about to come to. Now, I'm not going to read all of it. We're, we're only going to look at verses 13, 14, and 15 this morning. But prior to this, Joshua, or the Lord told Joshua to make some flint, basically knives out of flint stone, some sharp, because they needed to circumcise all the males 
because prior to leaving Egypt, they would do regular circumcision. But while they were wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, nobody had been circumcised. And so it didn't matter the age of the person, everybody needed to be circumcised. And so they, and they needed time to recover from that. So they were at a place, and after that circumcision, it was kind of like a time of consecrating the people of Israel as they begin this transition from wanderers to conquerors. This place was called Gilgal, G-I-L-G-I. You've heard that name. Well, that, if you read Joshua 5, you'll understand the story about that place. So that was a lot to say to get to our message today, which is Joshua chapter 5, verses 13, 14, and 15. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua said to him, went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And so he said, No, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this particular story. But Lord, sometimes we feel like, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And Lord, I pray that with this particular passage, speak to us in a way to prepare West Acres Baptist Church for what is next in the life of this church. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's, there's one little verse I want us to look again at, and that's to back up at verse 12. Well, that helps as part of the passage. Then the manna ceased on the day after they'd eaten the produce of the land. The children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. The word manna actually means, what is it? <laughs> kind of a good explanation of the word manna. Because when you, when you stop and think about it, what is this stuff? It falls from the sky, and we go out, and we gather it up, and we can make bread and, and all that kind of good stuff. Well, it tells us what the people were mystified, not only by its appearance, but also it's like something they'd never seen before. The scripture said it looked like a coriander seed, and that refers to its shape, and it was kind of the uh, bedellium color, similar to a pearl. So it was kind of had an iridescent look to it. If you, if you know, uh, you ever tried to decide what color a pearl is? Depends on how you hold it. You get a little bit of different light reflection, and you get little hints of other colors. That's you know, that is it. I, I have seen now they have in some vehicles a color called pearl coat. And it has a highly reflective white type paint, just a little off-white. Very pretty. Well, that's the color of the manna. No one, we, we, by the way, 
You cannot go on Amazon and find a cookbook, 50 Ways to Fix Manna. <laughs> we don't know how they cooked it. They're, they're, nobody recorded anything. Nobody, they were, when they were done, they were done. <laughs> they, didn't wanna, <laughs> they did not want to think about manna again. It's not that it was that bad. It's just 40 years of it, they get tired of it. So uh, they may have had hundreds of different ways to prepare it, but we don't know. And they could have eaten it raw. We don't know that. But I say all that to say God had provided for them exactly what they needed. And that, that is amazing, and it's a good reminder for us to be uh, thinking about. God provides us exactly what we need but that may not include the new Cadillac or the, uh, uh, the brand new 2023 GMC Sierra pickup truck with all the toys that may cost $70,000. That may not be included in all that we need. But you know, when we look back, we can see he provided exactly what we needed. In the desert, as they were wandering around toward the goal that they could only dream about, they kept hearing about this thing called the promised land. And oh, they were so excited. Now was time to take the promised land. Come through a long journey. This church has come through a journey. There's two things I will mention right now that I'm sure somebody here is going to say, amen, we have been through that journey. Has West Acres been through a journey with COVID-19? Amen, right? And the loss of a pastor. You know, that, those, those are tough things. It's like a boom, boom, you know? And uh, it's tough for churches to survive all of that. Well, there have been other challenges too, I'm sure. The loss of deacons, the loss of... Uh, members, you know, all those things. So now the question is, what is next? Well, the verses that, here are these verses at the end of chapter 5 form an intro to what is called, from here on, the conquest narratives. Conquest narratives. Beginning with Jericho, Israel needed to claim the promised land. And I think God had a plan that we're not going to do it the normal way. We're going to do it my way so that you know that you cannot do it yourselves. You can only do it through my leadership. And if you don't believe that, read the story of Jericho again. It is an amazing, an amazing story. So let's look at these verses. Look back at verse 13 again. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, they lifted up his eyes, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? The principle that is there is this. It applied that day, and it applies today. God wants our undivided loyalty. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, 
The scriptures say, be ye holy, because I, the Lord God, am holy. Now, sometimes we have, maybe you even heard this, and my job is to correct some things along the way. Maybe somebody told you that being holy means to be perfect. You couldn't be farther from the truth. God is perfect, but that's not what he's referring to here when he says, I am holy. The word holy here refers to being set apart. You can't get much more set apart than God Almighty. There's none like him, amen? Therefore, he is set apart from all of creation. To the uttermost, uttermost, to that little tiny bug that you'd just like to get rid of that we have every year called the mosquito. You know, we, we just love those things, don't we? We feed them every day, so we must love them. <laughs> so anyway, he is holy. He is set apart. And God is saying for us to be set apart, for I, the Lord God, am set apart. Israel moves from travelers to conqueror. The stage is set between Joshua getting ready to go to Jericho. And he was surprised to see this guy standing there on the road before him, that's one thing. But he's got a sword, and he pulls that sword out, and Joshua's like, oh boy. <laughs> and he asks a very honest question. Are you for us or for, your, for our adversaries? And notice... Uh, uh, let me go back to the idea of the, draw, the, the drawn sword in his hand. That phrase is only used two times in, in the Old Testament. And each time it's referring to an angel of the Lord. It's an interesting thought about that phrase. The so drawn sword in his hand. In Numbers chapter 22, where the, in 22 verses 23 and 31 where the angel of the Lord stood before Balaam, barring his way, and he had the sword in his hand. And in, second, and in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 16, the angel of the Lord stood before David, threatening Israel because of David's sin with Bathsheba. Joshua apparently did not recognize this guy as a divine messenger. I mean, think about it. He looked, and behold, there's this guy standing here. He's in my way, and he's got a sword. That's all Joshua saw. Look at verse 14. Notice the answer that he gets. So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. He is the commander of the Lord's army. He didn't say which side he was on. Think about that. We'll get back to it. But think about that. Joshua said, whose side are you on? Are you for us or against us? Are you an enemy or uh, are you a good guy or a foe? That kind of thing. And, and he didn't answer that. He just said, I'm commander of the Lord's army. There is a more general term called commander of the army. And the, the, it's used 35 different times referring to military commanders. Philco, 
was the head of the, 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 was the Philistine commanders in Genesis 21 and 32. Sisera was the Canaanite commander in Judges chapter 4 and 1 Samuel chapter 12. Abner was Saul's commander in 1 Samuel 14 and 17. Shobak, the Syrian commander. Joab was David's commander. Amri was Israelite's commander in 1 Kings. Naaman was a Syrian commander. So there's this, this idea of the command of the army was very common in the Old Testament. But this is a particular phrase that says commander of the Lord's army. The commander was one who had supreme military authority. Dwight D. Eisenhower in uh, World War II was the supreme military commander. France and uh, Britain and all the other allies that we had in World War II, they answered to Eisenhower. We brought the big guns, Eisenhower led. You know, that, that's the way our, our military works. And then when you're in a world war, somebody, and Eisenhower was the guy at that time. So that's the idea. But here, it's not just commander of Israelite's army. He says, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Joshua immediately recognized the man's authority, prostrated himself down on the ground and worshiped him. And Joshua called him, now, now notice this, you have to study a little bit of the language to get this next part, but Joshua called him my Lord with a small L, Adonai, rather than God's name, which would be Adonai, which suggests he may still have been unclear as to who this guy was. But he used the generic term, Lord. He didn't know really that he was speaking to God himself or God's representative. He clearly knew this guy had authority, and so he bowed down to worship him. Joshua displayed three attitudes that you and I need to learn in our daily walk if, if we're going to do what God wants us to do and if West Acres is going to do what God wants us to do. One... Immediately, he became humble, expectant, obedient in his attitude. He looked to this commander of the Lord's army. I don't understand all of it. I just know that he's in control. I'm not. And I'm going to yield my, I'm going to wait further instruction. And he bowed down on the ground and worshiped him. The second thing is, he recognized the man's superior authority. He was, he, he didn't know everything, Joshua didn't know everything, but he understood this much, this guy must have been sent by God. So I better pay attention. And even though he said, my Lord, with a small L, he did recognize this man as an authoritative person. He recognized who God was, and he recognized I'm not him. He recognized his own inferior position. And he was ready to serve. And he describes himself as his servant. I don't know what you want, but I'm here to do it. I'm your servant. 
Then look at verse 15. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, notice the words here, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. By this time, Joshua is beginning to figure out this man's from the Lord, with a capital L. And so Joshua already knew that God was going to be with him just as he was with Moses. And he needed to recognize that he was in God's presence, much the same as Moses had to do at the burning bush. Can you imagine what it was like for Moses? I mean, he's there and he sees this bush on fire, but it's not burning up. And then the bush starts talking. The voice of the Lord comes from there. And Moses knew he was in God's presence. This is Joshua's Moses moment. He had to recognize who he was, who God was. He knew God was going to be with him. Now he was standing in the presence of God's representative. And he says, I'm your servant. The very place where Joshua stood was holy. Joshua was instructed not to pollute that place with the dirt of the world. So he asked him to remove the sandal from his foot. And I think it's significant that it was just one sandal. You know why? We don't know for sure. But this is, looking at the scriptures, this is what I believe. I believe that it's because God knew Joshua had his feet, was going to have to have his feet in both worlds. On the one hand, he's still got a foot in the world because he's got to lead these people. But on the other hand, he's got to have his foot in holy ground because he needs to realize that God is the only one that can lead him to the victories he needs to have to conquer the promised land. Joshua needed to recognize he had to trust in God Almighty. When Lawrence of Arabia was in Paris, after World War I, he took them to see this, the city after some major battles, and his friends you know, he took all these fellow soldiers with him. They weren't impressed with the Arc de Triomphe. They were not impressed with the Louvre. They were not impressed with Napoleon's tomb. You know what they were impressed with? They had running water. You go over there, and there's this faucet, and you turn that knob, and water comes out. This is great. This is fantastic. We're going to, uh, next thing you knew, Lawrence of Arabia comes back, and these guys have found some wrenches. They're trying to figure out how to unhook those uh, faucets and take them back to Arabia. It says, all we have to do is turn it on. We'll have water forever. <laughs> Lawrence had to say, guys, stop and think about it. The only reason you have water when you turn the faucet on is because it's hooked up to a supply of water. You take the faucet, there's no water.
we take our eyes off God, there's no power. Amen? It is very easy when we're in the midst of a trial to get our eyes on the trial and rather than on high. And we sit around and say, woe is me, woe is me. What am I going to do? Oh, my. And we have our own little pity party. Been there, done that. They didn't give me the T-shirt, though. But let's not be like the soldiers of Arabia. The only way we're going to have water is to be hooked up to the water supply. Our study of Joshua reminds us that the effectiveness of all we do in church is not found in the activities, it's not found in the worship service as much as we need worship, but it is found in the almighty presence of the one who stands behind it. How is this church going to grow? It won't grow unless we have our eyes on him. The commander of the Lord's army is standing before us. Are we for him or against him? Now Joshua asked the question, was the commander for or against him? No, I'm asking the question, are we for him or not? That's what it's going to take. A preacher was driving to speak at a church in another county. He was running late, and he was driving about 20 miles the speed limit. By the way, this is not true confession. Don't say anything, Cheryl. <laughs> when suddenly he remembered, he had a Christian bumper sticker on his car. And his conscience started giving him fits. Because he had that bumper sticker on there, and here he is doing 20 miles over the speed limit. And so, you know what he did? He pulled the car over and pulled the bumper sticker off. And he went back to 20 miles over the speed limit. By the way, you may have noticed I don't have any bumper stickers on my car. I have a wife who keeps an eye on the speed limit, though. Amen. <laughs> so who are you for? Are you for him? Or are you for us? Let's stand. Let's fill the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, God, for today. We thank you for a message that really gets to the heart of the matter and challenges us with the issues that we need to face. Maybe we don't see us, the commander of the Lord's army standing before us with a sword drawn, but we're very much aware that you are here and you're asking us, who are you for? Lord, may we fall down and worship to you and keep our eye on you and say, Lord, we are your servants. Lead us as we go forth. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.